This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese. Happy New Year to all our listeners. So excited to be back on the airwaves and even more excited to be rejoined by my right-hand man, Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, happy holidays, happy new year. Excited to see you across the way with me tonight. Yeah, it's I've really missed it, man. Um, missed you. You have been carrying the torch across the finish line. We, we're off the fantasy season, at least. We are one game away from the end of the college football season. So, you know, thank you for getting us to here because this is this where the season. exciting part starts. Yeah, yeah, this is this it is, is draft part. season. I think I may have lost Jeff for one second there. So it is draft season. The playoffs are now in the books. The championship game is set for next Monday night. And we're going to break it down tonight. Everything we saw in those two big semifinal playoff games. So we're going to talk a little bit about some more people who entered the transfer portal, where they're going, some undetermined yet. Talk about some early entrance, all things college football, all things NFL draft tonight. Next week, we'll obviously recap national championship game. We'll kind of spin it to a final NFL rookie report for the year before we turn all our attention to the pre-draft circuit, the senior bowl, the shrine bowl, and then obviously all the combine and stuff after that. But it, it's almost fully pre-draft season, but we're not there just yet. So Jeff, let's talk about what we saw New Year's Day, those two classic games, Michigan beating Alabama in overtime 27-20, Washington outlasting Texas 37-31. I actually shut off the TV after the onside kick because I had to be up at 5 a.m. I didn't know anything that happened. I didn't even realize that they still had enough timeouts to get the ball back. I almost woke up to Texas stunning me. And I would have thought it was like literally a joke that if I started Texas that won that game because I literally shut my TV off after the onside kick. But the story we got to start with is Michael Panix Jr. We were talking a little bit off air, you know, yesterday and stuff. 29 of 38, 430 yards, two touchdowns, 31 yards rushing, showing an ability. And you phrased it best. This was his CJ Stroud game last year. When C.J. Stroud showed more in its repertoire versus Georgia than we had ever seen, that was Michael Paddock Jr. the other night against Texas, adding that 31 yards rushing, but also, you know, playing off structure a little bit more than we were used to. So let me give you the floor to kind of just talk a little bit about what you saw about Michael Paddock Jr. the other night that has you so excited. We finally, I think, are starting to see people say round one. It's about time. Most of the year, I thought he was, he's been my QB4. I didn't know why he was so far down, uh, you know, ranks and, you know, looked at. But but wh- where do you want to start with Michael Paxton here? Yeah, and hopefully my internet doesn't cut out again here. But um, honestly, it's not anything I saw last night. We did talk about his CJ Stroud moment, and I think we'll get in on that. But honestly, this is Michael Penix was playing this way all year. Um, it's just that you know, the level of difficulty, the stage, um, and the degree and consistency to which he did it the other night was, um, sort of the coalescence and like the, um, the pinnacle moment of 
all of that coming together, right? In in on the biggest stage in the second biggest game now of of his career. Um, I mean, it, it's all we could do is we go back to a scouting report, right? Um, he the precision, accuracy, timing um, by precision, like the ball placement, the touch, the anticipation. Um, I mean, he was. You know, people people say like you're you know on those those long passes, you're dropping a dime in a bucket. Like, you know, he was fitting that into thimble size windows. Like, they were perfect passes, um, in great, you know, ways that only his receivers could make those plays. And so I know um, we definitely have you know that the, the kind of arguments for, you know, why we may not want to get over our skis excited here. Um, but to me, I think the way that he played sort of makes all those arguments like, uh, you know, nitpicking moot points, um, because he showed it regardless of the talent across the field, regardless of the talent at wide receiver, regardless of, um, you know, I think the only, the only, you know, regardless of his age, right? Like the, the only thing that I think might get catch up to him when it comes draft season is the medicals, right? And and we have no insight into that. Um, and if, and we won't know where, if his draft capital, you know, if it was pick 15 or pick 32 or pick 50, if medicals played a role or, you know, if it were some of these other things that the NFL is, is scared off about. And I think that's going to be the trickiest evaluation of Michael Penix Jr., you know, in rookie season, going into the NFL and kind of setting expectations. Yeah, I think you, listen, we've seen even from last year, him putting up like arcade-like numbers, but this year we saw a lot more consistency. We we saw him rise to the occasion in big spots. You know, we were talking yesterday and, and just playing the other side of like, why would he not be a top 10, top 15, top 20? And like, there's not a lot to, to really put on that list anymore besides the medicals. I think you're going to have some people still talk about the quality of defenses he's faced. Texas is a good defense, but a poor secondary. So I still think you could hear that argument a little bit. I think he could put it all the bed versus Michigan. If he goes out there and puts on a performance even remotely close to what he did against Texas, I don't know. I think we all of a sudden have four quarterbacks going in the top 10 because I think somebody's going to fall in love, even with the medicals, to the point of top 10, top 12. And we're going to have four quarterbacks go in there if he does this again against Michigan. Because then you got to then you got to wipe away the he can't do it against better defenses. Yeah, he's got a pristine setup. He's got a great O-line, great wide receivers, really good play caller. He's got it all set up, but he's performing at such an elite level. And if he's doing it against good defenses, now Texas is probably the best defense they faced this year but the secondary suspect, but now the Michigan stage. And if he keeps them in that game and it's a, it's a barn burner and he finds ways to score against Michigan, there's going to be a lot. It's going to be hard to say if the medicals check out why he is in top 10 or top 15. I think you're starting to see some mock drafts that came right out since the New Year's Day games. You're starting to see him finally in round one mocks. That was non-existent before that game. He was in almost no mocks. And most people were pegging him as a round two, some even round three territory as a quarterback, which was, you know, which, which I felt was crazy because I have been a fan. He's been hired in J.J. McCarthy on my list. He's been hired at Bo Nix on my list. 
you know, so he's, he's a guy that I think really highly of. And I had some question marks seeing him play off structure a little bit the other day, really even got me more excited in, in conversation with you. And I think you make great points. Like, you know, I said, like he does as a distributor, remind me a little bit of Tua, but you hit it on head. And I, I went back before I wanted to do this podcast and I watched a lot of the game again. Like the arm talent is, is far superior than Tua. For me, it's more of like distributing the ball, almost like a point guard. Like he's got so many great weapons there in Washington, similar to Tua, had all those great weapons at Alabama, finding ways to kind of appease everybody, take his shots when they were there. I think he can throw with good touch and anticipation, but the natural arm talent is far superior to Michael Paddock Jr. And now he's just checking off boxes that like, if you're... You know, a team like Atlanta, which is not going to be in the top 10 probably, right? Because there there were a few too many wins. And he's sitting there. How would you not be intrigued with a guy like Michael Panix Jr.? Give him those weapons of B. John and, and Drake London, you know, and Kyle Pitts. And they have a pretty good offensive line. Like, there's so many teams, even if it's not top five, top eight. There's so many teams in that eight to 15 range that I think should be intrigued with Michael Panix. I thought it was a fantastic performance by him the other day. And you hit it on the head when you said it yesterday, this was his C.J. Stroud game. And I got a lot of pushback last year when I said that C.J. Stroud game against Georgia changed the whole narrative on terms of what people thought his ceiling could be. I think we've seen it. That game has been a foreshadowing of what we've seen in the NFL. If what Michael Pack said the other night against Texas is a foreshadow of what he has in the repertoire, if he can, if he can do the things he did and play more off structure which we know in the NFL is needed. I think the sky is the limit for him. Uh, and it, it was just great to kind of see there. I'm super excited for the game next Monday night. Hopefully he can keep the momentum going, even if Washington can't pull off the upset. Yeah, let me just jump in here then. Uh, you know, just to, I think it's worth expanding on this point because this is going to be a storyline, a major storyline of draft season. Um, first of all, like, we're talking about the C.J. Stroud moment. We're talking about the defense. You know, you said suspect secondary, but what we saw, you know, one thing that was on the tape, you know, all season was just Stroud absolutely dealing from a clean pocket, right? Um, you know, dropping dives, perfect ball placement. You know, that was what we had seen from C.J. Stroud, you know, at Ohio State, right? Like the, the big question was like, well, what does he do under pressure, right? Like we haven't really seen that. He's got an amazing O-line. He's staying clean. He's staying protected. Of course, he can just, you know, make these throws. It's that, that says his arm talent is great, but uh, you know, how does he do that in adversity? Right. Well, this game, we got to see a bit of that adversity, right? We got to see him creatively move around the pocket. Um, you know, I think there was a couple throws, you know, there's the one where he evades pressure, you know, he, he, he steps back up and then he, he, you know, kind of darts right and just kind of throws a little sidearm pass, like perfectly, perfectly placed right over the middle. Um, and then there's this other throw, on tape where, you know, he's got a free edge rusher coming through and, um, on his left side, right? Like on his throwing arm side. And he just kind of just like flicks it, you know, with this defender in his face and this ball just sails perfectly over the cornerback right into, I think it was probably Odunes's hands, uh, but one of those receivers just like, you know, right in the perfect position for his receiver to play, make a play over the back of the defender. Um, you know, and again, it's just like he had to get that ball out early and then he was, that didn't disrupt the timing of the play, right? Like he adjusted the, he adjusted his throw and his trajectory to make the timing of the play work when he had to throw it a beat too early. 
And so like, that's the type of stuff that we're definitely going to see on the Michigan game. Cause if you saw how Michigan just destroyed Alabama's O-line, you know, like see, uh, like we're going to have to see Michael Penix, like we're going to have to see him pull more of these plays out. Like the, the frequency in which we're going to see the, this test come, um, is going to just be a, a majority of the game instead of, you know, in highlights where we, we can kind of say, oh, well now we know he can do it. And so that's what's going to actually be the differentiator, in my opinion, on who can actually win this championship game. Because if if Penix and the, and the Washington offense can operate under that stress of that pass rush, um, under the stress of of a defense trying to lock them down and take away what they're good at, um, like you said, he's a good distributor. Then then the passing offense will score enough points where they can win. And I don't think C.J. McCarthy or um, Blake Corum could could really catch up and just you know, the arm talent with Tua, right? Like the, you know, he had a pass to, I think the touchdown to Jalen McMillan where it was, you know, middle of field open, but these safeties were converging really like it was a tight window and it was closing extremely fast. And Brock Purdy, Tua could not get this ball in there, right? Like you need like a Justin Herbert level arm to be able to rocket the ball in there before the window closes and before a defender gets their fingers on it. And it was just amazing to see him recognize that on the right time and deliver the ball you, you know your footwork has to be great to be able to get rid of it that moment you need to not not a beat after it's not like oh now i see it now set my feet now throw that ball so he was already ready to like deliver that strike and he was able to do it um with our talent that you know isn't you know, that is above average for NFL starters, right? So that's just, there's a lot to like for Michael Penix Jr. And he's showing, he's showing people, like you said, checking out boxes, a much more diverse skill set than people have been boxing him into as like this sort of, you know, uh, it was, uh, who was the Nevada quarterback that came out? Um, Carson Strong, right? Was that, mm-hmm. was that, I got the right name, you know, where he was, definitely have this rocket arm this beautiful deep ball but he you know he was just kind of like a statue in there he kind of got stuck in there he he just didn't like michael Penix just offers so much more and this was kind of something we got excited about him as a prospect right but then there's the injuries and yeah and like really shine and and we're just seeing that light bulb click on and and just even though it's going to take us even further down the rabbit hole you know my question to you is you know Everybody got excited. Like there was a lot of questions about the Joe Burrow year, right? Like a one year wonder. Can you really buy into this? Right. And I was trying to wonder, like, if there was so much excitement for Burrow, why can't we be this excited for Phoenix? I mean, that trajectory is the same. He's taking the program all the way to the the championship. And and if he is able to win that, you know, what's that difference there? And we talked about a few factors, right? Um, you know, just off the top of your head, you know, it was kind of like, uh, what was it? It was age, injury history. We talked about that, but like elite wide receivers for Michael Penix, right? But, you know, Burrow had Chase and Jefferson, right? Um, you know, the, the level of competition against the Pac-12, well, we just got to, you know, we just got to see it versus Bama, like, or versus Texas. It, it just, we're able to see a lot of what we're, what we weren't able to see before in these playoffs. And I think if there's any person who can, catapult his draft stock the most you know it's not even Jason McCarthy it's like Michael Penix Jr. who I do think I, I think he'll pretty comfortably fit in my top five and and maybe even top four and quarterbacks and top half of first 
uh, draft one. Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time right now. We're gonna we're gonna pivot to the other game momentarily. I have a hard time, and it's most of the year major draft Twitter and the in the know guys have had JJ McCarthy ahead of Michael Paddock. I have never had that. I've I've came on here and said people I respect tremendously have continued to say that they think JJ McCarthy is around one talent. I have said I I must be missing something because people who have more inside information than me, more film than me, continue to harp on that is what he it, that's where his draft stock is. That's what the NFL thinks. But I watch these guys play back to back games, and now you're going to see them in the same game. But you know, I watch them play back to back games. And to me, I don't see how right now somebody can have J.J. McCarthy ahead of Michael Paddock Jr. Is it straight projecting? And, and but, but what Michael Paddock has been asked to do compared to J.J. McCarthy is night and day. It's not even comparable. And one last point about like this was his moment. I know it sounds, it sounds wild. But for his draft stock, if Texas would have found a way to finish off that improbable comeback when I would have been sleeping in my bed, you almost wonder if they lost the game in some unfathomable way at the end, and this was the lasting game of Michael Paddock Jr., there would be less criticism. Almost like C.J. Stroud lost that game last year, even though he played unbelievable. And if he would have went to the national championship game and maybe had a so-so game, could it have like almost hurt his stock? Could that happen here with Michael Paddock Jr.? If he, if he lays a complete dud, if he looks terrible against Michigan's defense, it's almost like, if this was his lasting moment, but on the flip side, you just said Joe Burrow, he finds a way to beat Michigan. We might be talking top eight, top five, top 10. Does he somehow push Jaden Daniels down? Does he somehow push Drake May down? I think that's the upside of him finishing this off. The downside is if he has a really bad game, if he looks like he did maybe, I think with that Arizona State game, he was very shaky if I remember correctly. If he has a bad game, they get blown out. Could it could it then start bringing back those concerns that people had? It's going to be a fascinating story. Before we pivot to the other game, the other things that stood out, Quinn Ewers still undecided. I don't think he's going to be in Texas next year. I think the Arch Manning hoopla is is, is, taking, is picking up too much steam. That Quinn Ewers is either going pro, not sure he's ready for that yet, or he's going to go to the transfer portal. He had 318, a touchdown, 54 yards rushing. He's a very developmental. We've talked about him a lot. He hasn't changed much, I think, from what we thought about him in the summer. I was projecting growth, which is and more development and refinement, which is why I thought he could have been around one guy. I think he's sitting in there probably as a round two guy if he comes out. I think if he goes back with a weaker quarterback class next year. Right now, besides Shady Sanders, is there any round one guy for next year that, that again hype? So I could see Quinn Ewers going back to school, maybe trying either Texas and fight off Arch Manning for another year or the transfer portal. And then the wide receivers, Romo Dunes, six catches, 125. I think he's, Daniel Jeremiah said, he has them basically on the same level as Marvin Harrison Jr. I hadn't heard that take. I love Romo Dunes. He's my wide receiver three in this class, but that's some lofty praise from Daniel Jeremiah. James Polk, five catches, 122 yards and a touchdown. We'll see if he declares he's only a redshirt sophomore. Jalen McMillan, five catches, 58 yards and a touchdown. That whole wide receiver trio, fantastic. I, I'm pretty sure Odunes is going, I think, with uh, to wait and see on the other guys. And then the Texas side of it, three interesting prospects as well. Jatavian Sanders, six catches, 75 yards. I think he's locked in for tight end two in this class. I think the only guy, it's Brock Bowers in his own tier. I think it's Jatavian Sanders in his own tier. 
before we kind of get a, a third tier that's a little bit more clustered. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, I think he's going round two. I was just on uh, with Brandon Lee June and did a you know a video breaking down A.D. Mitchell. You guys should check it out over on YouTube. And I like his game, A.D. Mitchell. He's a guy, I think right now he's hit to like number 10 on my wide receiver board. But I think there's like 15 wide receivers going in the top 100, like A.D. Mitchell. And then Xavier Worthy, two catches, 45 yards, really struggled the other night to create separation. Uh, he's a guy I still like, but I think the NFL might be a little lower on him. Concerns about the size, the frame, uh, his ability to to play anywhere besides the slot. Tank Dell, I just think he has more physicality to his game than a guy like Xavier Worthy, but we know NFL loves speed. I think that'll still get Worthy drafted on day two. Jeff, yeah, I think Worthy's, Worthy's a good conversation topic because it's not like he had a breakout season that's on the level of, I think, the hype that you'd, um, that, you know, that meets the level of hype that you'd kind of see if you, you'd expect to, to see if you were like following on Twitter or draft Twitter. Uh, we'll see if we get him back. Jeff, are you still with me? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think Xavier, we're yeah, so you're interesting because it, I, you know, I don't think the production that we've seen this year is, is sort of matching the level of, um, fanfare you know that follows them around on like the draft twitter and the debbie twitter and you know a, a lot of the like if you perform early you're going to be able to carry that with you a long ways but i don't know that the nfl is necessarily one of those places that it'll carry to you know they, they definitely care if you broke out and produced as a freshman but you know if you didn't really produce lately then you know they'll move on to the the new shiny thing that you know, that is like, you know, A.D. Mitchell is, you know, was out producing him down the stretch generally. I, I mean, may, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, every time I like look through the game, look through the box for those are where the highlights are. Those are where the stats are. And, you know, it doesn't mean he's a bad player, but like, you know, are your expectations closer to, you know, say like a Josh Downs for him at the NFL level? Yeah, I think that's the that's the question. Listen, I think teams are still going to be intrigued with him, but he's got to fly on his 40. He need he needs to be like four three five or below. Like he's got to be a guy that's looked at as a true speed guy. Josh Downs was a really I you know my love for Josh Downs, a very good refined route runner. That it was a guy that could eat up in the slot, ninety catches. I don't I've never looked at Xavier Worthy and thought refined great route runner. I've, I've seen a guy that I think could win over the top. He better fly. It better not be 4-4-4 for Xavier Worthy. Not fast enough. Not out of his size and frame. It'll still get him drafted. He'll still go in round three or round four. But I think if he, if he wants to go in round two, he better be basically one of the fastest wide receivers in the draft. He better be, he better be closing in on that 4-3-0 to 4-3-5 range. I think that's what's going to take to, to get him hot again in that circle. Cause I think right now, AD Mitchell is probably going ahead of him. If he declares, right? I think A.D. Mitchell is another guy could go back to school, maybe really catapult his draft stock to be around one guy next year. I think that might behoove him. But we'll see about that, uh, whether or not he stays around. But I love his body control and ball skills. Odunes, I already talked about. I love him. Be interesting to see if Polk uh, declares as a redshirt sophomore with a lot of years left. But so many skilled players there that that are fun to talk about. But I think Worthy is the most intriguing one because he's been the one that's been in our minds the longest for sure. If we take this over to the other game, not as much to talk about. Michigan wins 27-20. J.J. McCarthy, 221 yards, three touchdowns. Jalen Milrose struggles for Alabama, 16 of 20, 316 yards. They had 63 on the ground. 
They still almost won, even with that poor game from Jalen Milrow. Blake Corum, 83 yards rushing, 35 yards receiving, and a touchdown. Jason McClellan on Alabama side, 87 yards and two touchdowns. And the only receiver that really stood out was Roman Wilson, the senior from Michigan. I think he's going to be one of the, the more decorated seniors in the NFL draft and at the senior bowl. Uh, four catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Jeff, any thoughts there? I, I know Blake Corum's one of your guys. If you want to talk about Corum, if you want to touch on Milrow or McCarthy uh, before we kind of turn this over to a couple other quick hitters and the show. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of see, you know, in the way the games are and the way the stats are, you know, the strengths and stats on on kind of both, the, you know, the differences of both games, right? You know, you saw, you know, fireworks from the get-go out of the Washington, Texas, and, and you know, Michigan-Alabama was a pretty good slog. Um, and, and I think that's going to make for a really good, you know, finals matchup, you know, between kind of like the strength on one side versus strength on the other for, between Michigan and, and Washington. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow is somebody we talked about, you know, right about the time he kind of got benched, um, and then won the job back. And we've seen tremendous amount of growth, you know, in his game. And I'm, I'm really bullish on, um, you know, on his prospects if he continues down that path. Um, but I think you, you saw it, it, Michigan is, that was a tough challenge, but, you know, and it's not, like the Alabama O-line really gave him any shot, right? His support, the support around him, you know, wasn't there for a great game. But that was kind of one of the the moments there that, you know, if he wins that game, you know, that's a, a signature moment, feather in his cap, you know, monumental leap. And, you know, it's just, he. we're still, we're waiting for him to quote unquote arrive. But I still think that there's a bright future for Melrose. You know, I love how he, I, you know, I love how he fought through this year. And I, I think he's become a much better player. Um, and, you know, we've talked to JJ McCarthy. I don't think we have to, I don't think we have to belabor that point. Um, that'll be, there'll be a lot of time for that, you know, especially when we, uh, after next week, um, the Blake Corum, you know, I just have to say like, I think in general, it's one of those ones where um, he's been my guy you just watch how he runs. You you watch the nuance with which which he runs, um, the movement skills, and I don't care that you know he went back to school this year. Uh, he beat out Donovan Edwards. I just I don't know what I don't I don't know what more you can ask for. Like it, you know we thought this running back class would be stellar. It's turned out to be a little bit lackluster. But like who would you take over Blake Corum right now in this draft class? Like I. I'm struggling to come up with names. Yeah, I mean, I, I for me, him and Trey Benson have been my one, two the whole year. I, I don't see that changing. I, you know, maybe I flip flop them. I, you know, I, I feel like I've kind of flip flopped them since the summer. I, I would go Benson, I'd go Corum. So I think that's still Benson didn't have the year I expected. Corum kind of did what I expected. So maybe that's the determining factor. Uh, you know, maybe I keep Benson there because I think he's a little, dealt a little bit more to handle maybe a heavier workload at the next level. But I think there's some untapped receiving upside in Blake Quorum's game that they just didn't need from him. So I think he could be that. So yeah, I mean, that, JJ McCarthy, I think, I think we could have that full conversation after next week. Does he declare? Cause he could be another guy that says, you know what? This year I come out, maybe I'm the fifth quarterback. I go back to school. Maybe I could be in the running to be the first or second or third. You know, Michigan's a loaded team. So I think he's an interesting decision. 
similar to Quinn Ewers. I think his stock's probably a little bit higher than Quinn Ewers if we just go from what we hear, the tea leaves and, and the in the know people. Uh, so that'll be an interesting conversation for sure. Jalen Milrow, still my favorite non, besides Shady Sanders, who basically has said he's going back. Uh, Jalen Milrow would be the one that gets me most excited about Devi college prospect of all the quarterbacks ahead of guys like Drew Allar and other guys that I just think Milrow's combination, uh, you know, of, of rushing and passing would be the guy in the Devi landscape of a non-draft eligible quarterbacks, not named Shady Sanders, uh, you know, who's going back, who I'd be most intrigued with. So let's kind of spin this to, we have had a lot of declarations of guys declaring that they're coming out. You know, even guys who we almost assumed that were coming out still had that COVID year. So we kind of still had a wait to hear if they were officially coming out. And then more guys have entered the transfer portal. Some have finally found homes. So we'll do it like this. I'm going to run through the declarations. If there's anything that you want to talk about that stands out, let me know. And then after that, we'll do the same thing with the transfer portal. And then we'll get out of here. So in, in terms of the ones who have declared, Jaden Daniels have made it official, the Heisman Trophy winner. I think he's on the trajectory to be a top five pick. I think the question is whether or not he can push Drake May out of the QB2 spot if we assume Caleb Williams is locked in the QB1. I'm not so sure that's definitive. I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about the quarterback landscape at the top of this draft. And as we said, we'll see if Michael Pattis can throw his name in the mix if he pulls off the upset. Joe Milton, I feel like he's been in college forever. For a while, it sounded like he was maybe going to use one more year. He officially announced that he's declaring. So Joe Milton out of Tennessee. We just talked about him running back out of Florida State, Trey Benson, running back uh, Audrey Esteem out of Notre Dame, Kendall Milton out of Georgia, and Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin all made it known that they're entering the 2024 NFL draft. At the wide receiver position, which is the most loaded stack position I've seen in years in terms of a draft, uh, Florida State wide receivers Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. I think Keon Coleman's going round one, top 15, top 20. Johnny Wilson maybe day two. Brian Thomas Jr. out of LSU. A lot of talk he's going late round one to early portion of round two. Uh, obviously, we're still waiting official word. I think I'm the league neighbors. I couldn't see, find anything to that. He officially, but I'm assuming it's just a, a formality with him. Troy Franklin out of Oregon, he's declared. I think he could be in the mix like Brian Thomas Jr. as a late one, early two. Ladd McConkey out of Georgia, I think he's going day two. Ricky Purcell out of Florida, I think he's a round three, round four guy. And then obviously we talked about him, Xavier Wordy. Uh, made it be known as well. And then the tight end position, obviously the premier tight end, Brock Bowers, he declared officially Jaheim Bell out of Florida State. He made it known. And then also Dio Johnson out of Penn State. I think Bell is probably an early day three. I think Dio Johnson's going to surprise people. He could be this year's Brenton Strange, uh, Luke Shoemaker, guys that we never considered as day two tight end prospects. I have a feeling Theo Johnson might be that sneaky name this year. He's had a lot of uh, untapped athleticism, I think, for years. He could be a sneaky guy that somewhere maybe on day, uh, round three sneaks in there. So, Jeff, any thoughts on the declarations there? Anything stand out? I don't think there's too many surprises there. But anything you want to touch on there before we end with the transfer stuff? No, I mean, you summed it up great. I think generally... My only worry with Jaden Daniels is like his he his growth has been immense this year, right? Like you know we've seen we've seen I Heisman level play like straight up. Um, he was one of the most electric players in all of college football, and for great reason. And it's hard to envision, you know, how like like it, it's easy to envision how exciting that that could be on an NFL field. 
I am a little bit more worried about all directly it does transfer. Um, you know, like I think I feel safer about Enix if I'm an NFL team and, and I, I want someone who could come in, like run my offense and, you know, get me wins like CJ Stroud did. Like I definitely feel more comfortable with Enix. Um, that's not to say that that's the right choice. You know, I think I need a lot to dig a lot more into Jaden Daniels, but you know, one of the things that I think I'm overcoming myself is, is the tape that he put on prior to this explosion. And, and is that going to be held against him? Why, what, what, what's the reasoning behind this major leap? You know, and I mean, look, we have to give him credit for it. Like, I, I think he, I think he deserves to be in that conversation of a top three quarterback in this year. And like, if, if a team falls in love with them and they have a plan for them, like, that's great. I, you know, I, I really won't argue it. Um, but that, that's kind of like, I, I just don't know how I f- feel about that from like a comfort level. Right. And maybe if I take that kind of, you know, analysis down to like the running back position, he's not going to be my RB one. But in the uncertainty of how the NFL drafted landscape unfolds, I think Braylon Allen is probably the safest, you know, running back from like a draft capital perspective. And, and I, that's probably a hot take because if he runs pretty slow, like we might see his his draft stock crater. But I just, you know, I think from what we've seen of him, you know, we've seen kind of we've seen those big runs. You know, he's a big physical guy. I just think he's he's going to be a pretty safe D2 running back. But, you know, like, I think when I asked that question about Quorum, you said Trey Benson and, you know, my love for Trey Benson, you know, my heart fluttered a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, he might be right. Trey Benson might be my number one. But, but based on the play this year, you know, and the tape this year, you know, I really have to give it to Quorum, right? If, if, if that's what I'm using, latest information available to me. Um, but Audric Estime, I think is a great sleeper you know, as far as that Notre Dame running back who could really be, again, just one of those guys that kind of leapfrog Braylon Allen as, you know, maybe a surprise, um, you know, third or fourth running back chosen in the class, maybe even second, you know, depending on how this all shakes out and what teams want. You know, he's he's a very good player. And you know, we didn't talk enough about him um, at the beginning or before the year I think we talked a lot about him at the beginning of the year when he was the only one producing in college football for the running back position um you know and then I think we you know we got into the you know the rest of how um the college football playoff landscape was going the rest of the teams and the ups and downs and so it's just not it's a player we should should not forget about and you know who I think is is better than the than the amount of hype around uh the NFL draft would would suggest yeah, I, I think you're spot on there. And it was in the Jaden Daniels thing. I think it's one of those things where he is a late bloomer, whether it was the infrastructure he had at Arizona State, whether, you know, we saw it, we saw him starting to develop last year, taking the final step this year. I just think the way the NFL, the way people are enamored with Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Anthony Richardson last year, I just feel like that dual capabilities is going to get Jaden Daniel pushed up and he's going to get pushed up high. So it's going to be fun quarterback class. I know my team, the Giants, I wanted to come away with one of these quarterbacks near the top of the draft there, Uh, you know, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun draft cycle with these quarterbacks. I don't think it's locked in stone 
and, and, and Sharpie in terms of the order in which these guys come off the board. I think some teams might see things very differently, and that makes for a fun draft process for sure. Let's spin this over to the last thing of the night, the transfer portal. I talked on, I talked a lot of transfer stuff on the previous episode about two weeks ago before the holidays. Uh, but there's been a lot more news since then. Uh, a quarterback position, DJ Ulangale, uh, originally Clemson off to Oregon State had his best year in a while this past year. I thought maybe he was going to pivot it to the NFL and see if he can go on right round four. He's going back to the ACC. Florida State's still there. That's a different story for a different day. But he's going to go to Florida State. I think you have every intention to be the starting quarterback there next year for the Seminoles. Uh, underclassman news, Dante Moore, the highly regarded recruit who ended up in UCLA. He's transferring to Oregon. So that kind of set the stage for him to be the heir apparent to Bo Nix. Malik Murphy, who was the backup most of the year at Texas to Quinn Ewers in between Quinn and Arch Manning. He's heading to Duke to replace Ryan, uh, Riley Leonard, who transferred out. Uh, at the running back position, Trevor Etienne. Last time I talked about him being in the transfer portal, now it's known that he's headed to Georgia. He'll be a part of that Georgia backfield. That's really intriguing. Uh, Jaquavius Marks leaving Mississippi State, very uh, multifaceted running back, great receiver. He's going to USC. I think that's going to be a guy that uh, they intrigue, they use in a lot of different ways. They're going back to the transfer portal last year. Right? It was Marshawn Lloyd. This year, it's going to be jo- Jaquavius Marks there at the running back position. And at the wide receiver position, uh, Juice Wells headed to Ole Miss. Obviously, he was at South Carolina, and now he's heading to Ole Miss. He was going to be a guy that if he didn't get hurt, he was going to be a guy that I was in my top six, top seven wide receivers. Really intrigued to hope that Juice Wells can come all the way back healthy. Julian Fleming, once upon a time, one of the most highly regarded Debbie prospects, heading to UNC to see if he could salvage his career there. Ja'Cory Brooks, leaving Alabama after all the hoopla early in his tenure there, heading to Louisville. Mario Williams, another guy, right? He's been bouncing around, highly regarded. Oklahoma went to USC. Now he's in the transfer portal. But of all the wide receiver news, the one that's most intriguing wasn't draft eligible, but was one of the most highly regarded wide receiver prospects for the 2025 NFL draft. Evan Stewart leaving Texas A&M to be determined where he ends up. He is a game changer that could be there. And I also forgot to add to my list. Your boy Dorian Singer's leaving uh, USC, and he's back in the portal. We'll see if he ends up somewhere where he can make uh, get back on the, on the track of being an intriguing prospect as well. So, Jeff, any quick thoughts on the, on the transfer stuff before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, you can't ignore this, right? Like we we saw what Onyx did, you know, moving off to Oregon. Like, you know, this is a really I, I don't know. It, it I feel like it's a pretty big gambit. You know, I think a lot of times I see these kind of transfers and it's it's hard to get acclimated to a, a new system, a new school, a new state, like new coach, new quarterback, you know, new team. Like, I don't know. Um, you know, I think that's hard, but like it can really inject life in, you know, into your game. If you were struggling in the situation where like no matter how hard you tried, you know, you just can't overcome. And, and I mean, we see that all the time and, and it's great that these players have the opportunity, you know, to choose their own destiny. Whereas like, you know, you get someone like Bryce Young, for example, who is just going to get ruined in Carolina and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, so fascinating that, you know, Dante Moore is going to go to Oregon. I, I have high hopes for that. I, you know, I, you know, we've seen Oregon have this high flying offense, you know, Dante Moore is a capable pilot for that for sure. 
And then Evan Stewart, you know, I don't know what happened at A&M. I know there's always, you know, A&M is just an interesting college program where, you know, you're, you never really want your, your favorite you know, Debbie high school player to sign on there because it, it just doesn't seem like the track records, you know, supporting, you know, amazing development. But, um, you know, you know, Evan Stewart went there and, and I think he's, he's saying, you know, I don't, he had such a great start to the year and I felt like he disappeared and I don't know why, like, I don't know what went on. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, blaming him necessarily, but, um, where he lands, who he lands with, um, it, I mean, you could see something like a George Addison in the background. Yeah, I think there was definitely some stuff probably going on behind the scenes there that we were just, you know, not, you know, you know, uh, you know, not certain exactly what was going on there. But the, the whole transfer portal, I know it's wild and crazy and it's easy to, to miss things, but it's really fascinating. And with the success we've seen of people like Michael Panks Jr. when he goes to a new home and Jaden Daniels when he goes to a new home, we... I think it opens up now where guys who maybe would have just declared and went out because they, they weren't going to go through that, sit out a year. I think it's good for college football. I know some people don't like it because it's, so, it's almost like free agency every year and it's wild, the wild, wild west out there. But I think for the players and their, their futures and their careers and, and, and developing for the college, for the NFL game, this is enabling people to get second or third opportunities that maybe would have had no chance to ever find their way you know, with any draft capital to be a relevant person in the NFL. Like, and now we're seeing Michael Panix. We're seeing Jane Daniels. Maybe next year it's DJ Ulongle who pushes his way into day two or, or pick a name, right? That maybe we thought it was over. In the past. Yeah. In the past, Jordan Addison, right? Like, you yeah. knew he was going to do well, but then he goes, you know, to USC with Caleb Williams and, you know, becomes a first round pick too, right? So again, like that's the type of, you know, Evan Stewart could be, you know, that player who catapults himself into a top and draft pick because he hitches himself, you know, to a prolific passer. Yeah. And we could be having this conversation next year about Quinn Ewers, that he went somewhere, he found the right place for him. And next year he's QB one or QB two. I don't think that's out of realm of possibility. He's got all the natural traits. It's about getting him into a scheme where he shows more consistency and refinement. And if he can get there in a different home, who knows? He might be the guy we're talking about as one of the top you know, picks in the 2025 NFL draft. So I think it's really add this extra layer and element that's really intriguing. But Jeff, it was so fun having you back across the way. Uh, looking forward to hopefully next week we can get a time locked in where we can do it again, talk about the national championship game, do a big recap of the NFL season in terms of the rookies, stock up, stock down, you know, full landscape of, of the rookies uh, because it was a fantastic rookie class. At all the positions for fantasy, quarterback, wide receiver, uh, you know, running back and tight end, all, you know, a lot to talk about in the rookies, you know, in the concluding, you know, NFL rookie report for this season as well. If you're enjoying the content, please over to the website, SS Football, fastest and easiest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get all our stuff. It's draft season now. You're, you would love this content. You get the scouting notebook. Almost 100 detailed scouting reports in their strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, how they win, NFL role, 
fantasy spin. Uh, that will be updated when all the declarations are done, and I will separate the tabs. So you have tabs with just the guys who declared, guys who are going back, separated on that. You get the rankings notebook. It has all our different rankings. That too, I will also split it up to just the guys that declare uh, once that becomes finalized. And then you get the draft projections notebook in April. Tabs for every position, offense and deep uh, defense, snapshot of how they win, ranked in an order of how we expect them to come off the board from everything we're hearing, reading, and, and seeing as well. Jeff, any final parting shots before we get out of here? No, I I can't wait to join next week. Toddler uh, toddler willing, if I get any sleep, <laughs> and you'll see me back on 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 camera. Absolutely. So, guys. I know it's been a couple of weeks. We will be much more regular and much more consistent. Uh, I was getting some work done in my house. The holidays, it was, it was kind of a crazy, hectic time. But now it's draft season, national championship next week. Uh, we'll be here covering it wire to wire. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you Saturday to Sunday.